0: Today on Let the Bible Speak. When the first century church assembled, what did they do and why? Today we continue our series on the New Testament church by looking at its worship. Welcome and thanks for joining me for Let the Bible Speak, a weekly Bible study program and we're glad you're part of it today. We're involved in a series of lessons about the church revealed in the New Testament and today we come to the fifth lesson in that series where we consider the worship of that church. One of the more obvious features of the church was the fact that they often came together to engage in spiritual activity, to participate in the service of God together as a body. What were those assemblies for and what did they consist of? Well, For a beginning scripture reading, I would like to return to Acts, the second chapter, which records the establishment of the church in the city of Jerusalem. That is where it all began on earth after the ascension and enthronement of Christ in heaven. Now, We've already learned how the apostles immediately began making disciples of the Christ through the preaching of His gospel. As men and women heard, believed, and obeyed the gospel, the Lord added them to the church, Acts 2, verses 41 and 47. these new believers were soon organized into local congregations that constituted and functioned as the body of christ from place to place in the days and weeks that followed verse 42 tells us and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers notice that the church continued steadfastly in these things well in the ten times the word this translates is used in the new testament It means to keep on or to continually do a thing. It means to devote oneself to a thing or practice. The breaking of bread sometimes refers to eating a regular meal, but it is also used in the New Testament to refer to the eating of the Lord's Supper. In this case, it refers to the Lord's Supper as it wouldn't have any meaning for Luke to say that the new disciples continued eating common meals because everyone does that, saints and sinners alike, or else we would physically perish. He's referring to the disciples coming together continually or regularly to observe the lord's supper so assembling for these things was a marked feature of the church from its very beginning what does the bible tell us about these assemblies our lesson today the worship of the new testament church after a song beyond dispute that congregations of the early church, spoken of in the New Testament, came together on a regular basis. While their gatherings were only one part of their activity as disciples, these gatherings were, nonetheless, a sacred and vital function of each congregation. For example, in admonishing Christians who were tempted to turn away from Christ, The writer of Hebrews warned them by saying, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, First, we see that the church was in the habit of assembling. Second, he says that some were making a habit of failing to be part of that assembly. And third, he says that it was not only wrong to do so, but that they needed to assemble with their fellow members to exhort one another to faithfulness. And Christians who desire to be faithful to Christ must do the same today. What was the purpose of these assemblies? Why did Christ institute the church with such a regular practice? Why is it necessary? Well, the Bible gives us a few different indications. First, according to this passage, they met for exhortation. Christians need one another. Faithful disciples draw strength and encouragement from one another, and you simply can't do that without being with one another. And regardless of what some may think there simply is no substitute for Christians being in one another's presence. That technology is amazing and can serve a wonderful and helpful purpose. in the spreading of the gospel, the building up of the church, but friend at the end of the day, a zoom session or an internet social media connection or watching a video is not the same thing as actually being together and involved in the lives and experiences of other believers. We come together to exhort one another. But then the church also came together to edify one another. 1 Corinthians chapters 11-14 deal at length with the gatherings of the church. And one of the key emphases of Paul is that when the church came together, those who assembled were to be edified. That was the point. Now the word edify means to build up. And Paul specifies that much of that building up came through the teaching that was done in those assemblies the church also came together to worship god as a corporate body now there are those today who promote the idea that the assemblies of the church were never really for the purpose of worship that's an individual thing but merely they came together for encouragement but such an idea denies nearly two thousand years of recorded church history for one thing the new testament text itself speaks of what the church did when it came together and such activities were acts usually associated with worship For example, they came together for the Word of God to be read to them and explained to them. They came together to pray. They sang in their assemblies, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. And Paul told the Ephesian church in Ephesians 5 and verse 19 to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So the singing was to one another, and the word hymn refers to a song of praise, Uh, In Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, back in the Old Testament, we read where uh, the people under the law were gathered publicly as one man, the Bible says, to hear Ezra read the word of God. That was an assembly. And uh, they gathered to hear the word and not only read, but for Ezra and other men to explain the text to them. And the Bible says in Nehemiah 8, verse 6, that when this took place that the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Fred, it's really silly to suggest that God's people would come together in the Old or New Testaments and learn from and thus be convicted by the Word of God, corporately pray to God, sing songs of praise and homage to God, remember the death of the Son of God, and at the same time proclaim His death in anticipation of His return, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26, and not call that worship. So the church came together for Exhortation, edification, and glorification. And there's even another thing suggested by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 23 and 24, and that is that unbelievers may be convinced of the truth by what takes place in the assembly. Now, though the regular assembly of the church was admittedly primarily for the church itself and its building up, and most evangelization took place out in the community, The fact is, the gatherings of the church did serve as one vehicle through which some were convinced and converted to worship God. So these were the divinely authorized purposes of their assemblies. And never once does the Bible indicate that the church came together to be entertained. In fact, it's very hard to imagine the believers of the first century coming together in homes, as they often did, in secret hideouts as they sometimes had to do, or even in public places in order to watch a show or to put on a performance. Rather, these humble disciples came together to participate, to jointly participate in divinely appointed acts of homage and service directed toward God and one another. Paid performers and stage acts are completely foreign to the church that we read of in the New Testament. Now, the Bible indicates that their meetings were frequent and regular. The church was called together on various occasions, but the time the New Testament is specific about is on the first day of the week. As we've seen, Acts 2 and verse 42 tells us that the disciples constantly or regularly attended to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the Lord's supper, breaking of bread, and prayers. But it isn't until Acts 20 and verse 7 that the Bible specifies when they did so. Paul spent a week in the city of Troas And he delayed his departure until after he could assemble with the church there. And the record says, now on the first day of the week, which refers to Sunday, of course, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now notice they assembled for the purpose of breaking bread. Was this breaking of bread referring to the Lord's Supper? Well, yes, because first we have other references in the New Testament that show us the Lord's church came together for that specific purpose. For example, Paul acknowledged in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17-26, that the church at Corinth came together to eat the Lord's Supper, even though there were abuses and problems surrounding their assemblies that he had to correct. Still yet, they did come together to commune. That was an apostolic tradition that they were continuing. And five chapters later, in chapter 16, verse 2, Paul indicates that they came together as a church every first day of the week. Thus we read of the church at Troas here in Acts 20 and verse 7, coming together on the first day of the week to break bread. And we might remember that God commanded the Jews back under the Mosaic Covenant to observe the Sabbath day. When Moses received that as a commandment on Mount Sinai, God did not specifically state every sabbath day he simply said remember the sabbath but it is certainly what they understood the commandment to mean that is every sabbath every week had a sabbath for as long as they were faithful to God they observed the sabbath day of every week but here's where the early church and post-apostolic writings are helpful in providing us with a historical perspective these writings indicate that it was the practice of the church for at least the first few centuries to observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of each week. For example, in the writing known as the uh, Didache, or the teaching of the 12 apostles from about 125 AD, one quotation says, but every Lord's day do ye gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanks. In about 150 AD, Justin Martyr affirmed that the Lord's Supper was observed each Lord's day. So each congregation in the New Testament came together on the first day of every week to break bread. What were the other things that took place when the church assembled itself, and how 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 did they do them? Well, the New Testament provides us a composite picture of their assemblies, so let's notice those things. First, there was the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. Now, you may be accustomed to seeing the Lord's Supper observed in varying ways today, but the question we're concerned with now is how the church in the New Testament observed the Lord's Supper, and we should note that there are only five references in the New Testament that tell us how Jesus instituted the Supper and how the church followed His example. And those references are very specific. They're recorded in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29; Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 26; Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 16 and 17 and then first Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 26. So friend, all that we can learn from the Bible itself about how Jesus instituted and observed the Lord's supper with the 12 and how the church under their direction observed it can be learned from these five passages. Now, while each account may emphasize some feature or statement that others do not, the way Jesus instituted it, the elements he used to institute it, the significance he attached to those things, all of those are clearly and consistently stated between the different accounts. Now, Mark's account is particularly concise, and I want you to listen to it uh, very carefully and compare it with how it is often observed today, perhaps even in your own assemblies. Listen to Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse uh, 22. The record says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread. The word bread is the word artos in the original text, which means a loaf of bread. And that bread was unleavened, for this was during the Jewish Passover when no leaven was to be present. He took that bread or that loaf and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them And they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now you see, friends, Jesus shared a loaf of bread with the disciples. They didn't have their own. Jesus shared a loaf of bread with the disciples, which Paul later said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, represented the one body which is broken by all who partake of it. He also shared a cup of fruit of the vine with them from which they all drank as a representation of the new covenant made of force by his blood. Jesus instructed his disciples when they did these things, this do in remembrance of me. In other words, Jesus was setting an example. He was instructing them on what they were to do going forward. Friend, it was only much later that people began to deviate from the example that Jesus set. The disciples also took up a collection for the saints on the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses one and two, Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week. Some translations say every week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper that there be no collections when I come. So each Sunday they were to contribute to a common fund to be used for the relief of needy church members called saints. Now this is not a reference to something that each family did at home by themselves or them earmarking a portion of their income uh, just to set aside, because if that were the case, there would have had to be a gathering of those funds when Paul came, but Paul specifically says he didn't want that to be the case. Rather, Paul told them that they were to treasure these funds up from Sunday to Sunday so they would be ready and available to meet the present need. We have no record of the New Testament church raising funds in any other way. Paul instructed them to do that by their offerings on the first day of each week that was to be kept for distribution to the need when the time came. So they gave on each first day of the week. They came together on the first day of the week and they gave of their means. The Christians did. On the first day of each week. And then we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as well as other passages, that the uh, New Testament church came together to be taught the Word of God. And Paul was specific about the way this was to take place. He gave several regulations for how the assembly was to be carried out. Now at that time before the apostolic work of revealing the entire body of truth was complete, God's Word was still being given through direct revelations of the Holy Spirit and was being confirmed by miraculous signs, such as speaking in tongues and so forth. At Corinth, in particular, these proceedings were descending into confusion and chaos, and so, contextually, Paul saw the need to remind them of how the assembly was to be conducted in an orderly way. And the bottom line is, all things done for edification. Now, Paul had a way in which that was to be done, in which the church was to be edified. Now, we today are still not receiving revelations in the manner they were, but... We have the completed revelation in the New Testament, of course. But just as the apostles' letters were to be read and explained in the church back then, so their words are to be read and taught to believers today. We still come together to be edified by the teaching of the word of God. Those assemblies are to be done unto edifying, just like they were back then. The principles have not changed. Paul in verse 23 shows that when the church came together in one place, he says, for teaching, they didn't divide into groups based upon levels of experience or age but rather in one gathering and this was the way god's word was taught in public through time in the old and new testaments we noted uh, back in nehemiah chapter 8 for example there was to be according to 1 corinthians 14 only one speaking at a time according to verse 31 and the teaching was to be done by men in the church paul plainly said that women were not given this role in public or when the church assembled according to verses 34 and 35 and 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Now, someone may say, but Paul was dealing with the chaos at Corinth, you see, and his words were not to be universally applied. But look in verse 36. He said, Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? In other words, Corinth was subject to the same instructions and regulations as every other church. They were not an exception. And then singing was part of their assemblies. Not only did Christ sing with his disciples the night he met with them and instituted the Lord's Supper, but the early church sang together. Again, in regulating their assemblies at Corinth, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15, I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding. In other words, he would sing from his spirit or with his heart and would understand the words that he was singing. Well, does that not show that singing was part of their gathering? Certain passages in the New Testament, such as 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, are thought by many scholars to have represented a fragment of a hymn that was sang in the early church. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing to one another, you see. Yes, we have several references and even commandments to sing to one another. That would imply a corporate gathering. And to the Lord, that would imply worship. And to practice teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, Paul said in Colossians 3 verse 16. But nowhere were they told to play a mechanical instrument. In fact, for the first 600 years of recorded church history, there is no mention of instrumental music in church worship. And you know, given the presence of instrumental music among the Jews in Old Testament times and its mentions in the Psalms, isn't it more the conspicuous that it is absent from the first 600 years of the church's history? And then finally, we also read of prayers being a central feature of the church's gatherings. Virtually nobody disputes this fact, and we won't take the time to cite the references beyond the ones we've already cited, but it should be apparent why prayer would be a focal feature of the Christian's gatherings. Now friend, the question before is simply this, are we to worship like the New Testament church did? Does this even matter? Is it worth our consideration? i leave you with three verses to consider. John four verse 24, God is a spirit and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Colossians 3 and verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then Paul's admonishment to the erring church at, at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Well, my dear friend, you be the judge. Does it matter in light of what Jesus and Paul said? What do those statements mean? If we wish to be like the church of the New Testament, shouldn't we seek to assemble and worship like they did under the auspices of the inspired apostles? Such would certainly be a way that is right and cannot be wrong. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about the identity of the New Testament church, and I'll be back in just a moment.
1: Worship the Lord, He is worthy of praise. shall endure as yes, I will praise him in mansions of all, and with a voice that more sure
0: Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see all of our past broadcasts, plus extra videos, including Let the Bible Speak Classics all the way back to the 1960s. And get new updates, go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and click on subscribe. Today's lesson was about the worship of the New Testament Church, and we would be happy to provide you with a free printed transcript of the lesson. If you would like to have your copy, please get in touch with us, and we'll get it on its way. Just request it by the title, The Worship of the New Testament Church. And we'll get it on its way as soon as we can. Thank you so much for joining me today. Remember to like and follow us on the various social media platforms, especially subscribe to our YouTube channel and share our content. We would very much appreciate that. And in so doing, you'll assist in spreading the gospel and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be with you from week to week. And I hope that you'll make your plans to join me next week if the Lord wills for another Bible study. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful and a safe week ahead. And we'll meet you back here next time. Take care.